Well, another Christmas day has come and gone. So how are you doing? Was this a good Christmas or was this one that disappointed you? Did it live up to your expectations this year? We are all going to have Christmases at times that disappoint us. And, and for some of you, this time of the year is not the most wonderful time of the year. It's actually one of the hardest times of the year, and you're just glad it is finally over. Now, there are a lot of reasons that we might be disappointed at this time of the year. Maybe you, you didn't get what you wanted. Maybe this time of the year reminds you of lost loved ones. Maybe you're just exhausted from all the preparations and you're just wondering, was it really worth it? There are many other things that we could mention here. However, the true Christmas, what this holiday is ultimately about, it will never disappoint you. Christmas ultimately is about the birth of Jesus. Now, we all know that. That is what we should be celebrating at this time of the year. And as we celebrate His Advent, as we celebrate the coming of Jesus, we need to be reminded that His birth marks the beginning steps of what He came to do. Jesus came into our world for a reason. And His mission was perfectly accomplished. He did not fail. He did not falter. He did not fall short. Jesus absolutely accomplished everything that He came to do. And He does not disappoint. As we'll see in the passage that's before us this morning, Jesus, He shepherds us. He secures a place for us. And He alone can do this because He alone is sufficient. In Jesus, you have all that you need. And you have abundantly more than you deserve. Jesus is the reason why Christmas truly can be the most wonderful time of the year. And with that in mind, please stand and honor the Word of God. And I'll be reading for us from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verses 1 through 7. This is the Word of God, and it is absolutely true. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have also known my Father. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And Lord, as we are preparing to end yet another Advent season May we never lose sight of the fact that Jesus came for a reason, that he came to accomplish something, that he came ultimately to sacrifice his life to redeem sinners such as us. And may that greatly encourage each and every one of us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. This passage in John 14 marks the beginning of what is known as the upper room discourse. And Jesus knows everything that's about to happen to him. He knows that he is about to be betrayed, arrested, beaten, and ultimately killed on the cross. 
His time is short, and so he wants to prepare his disciples for everything that is about to happen. And the first thing that Jesus addresses is the hearts of his disciples. We see this in verse 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. So why are the disciples troubled? Why are they struggling? Well, there are many reasons. Jesus has recently told them, I mean, he's told them this a couple times, but he even recently, again, told them that he was going to suffer and die. He then told them that one of the disciples was going to betray him. And then he looked at Peter and he told Peter that Peter was going to deny him, not once, but three times. So these things are weighing heavily upon the hearts of the disciples. And they're full of just a whole array of emotions. They're sad because of the gloomy prospect of losing Jesus. They're confused about the implications of his death. Could Jesus really be the Messiah if he's going to die in such weakness? This is a question that's resonating in their minds. They're perplexed by the idea that one of their own would actually betray Jesus. They're ashamed that they're even having these doubts. The disciples' faith is weak and it's wavering. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows the condition of his sheep and he seeks to encourage his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. So before we unpack this, there's something that you need to see here. And and it's something that can be easily missed. And that's this. Jesus knows that his disciples are troubled. And it matters to him. He is concerned about the fact that they are troubled. Don't miss this. Jesus knows. He knows when you are troubled. He knows when you're distressed. He knows when you're hurting. He knows when you are depressed. He knows when you feel lost or alone. Jesus knows your condition. He knows your state of mind. He knows your heart. And Jesus cares. What comfort does this provide? Jesus is a compassionate shepherd. He is truly concerned about your well-being. And not only is he concerned about you, but Jesus is able to do something about it. He can comfort you. He can encourage you. He can help you. However you are doing right now, whatever weight that you might be carrying this morning, Jesus can help. Do you believe that to be true? Well, look at how he cares for his disciples. He reminds them to to believe in God. He challenges them to believe in God and believe also in me. He tells them, don't be troubled. Rather, they should believe or trust in God. And they should also trust in him. So how does this trusting God, how does this trusting in Jesus help the disciples not to be troubled? Well, think about it. Who is God? Well, God is all-knowing. There is nothing about your situation that God is not aware of. There is nothing about you that God does not already know. There is nothing that will surprise God. There is nothing that will ever catch God off guard. God is also all-powerful. There is nothing God can't do. He can do anything and everything He wants to do. Nothing will prevent Him from accomplishing His purpose. And God is good. Everything God does is right and good. 
And God is sovereign. He is in absolute control of all things. Everything happens according to His plan and His will. So consider this for the disciples. They are distressed because of what Jesus has just told them. They're distressed because Jesus has told them that He is about to leave them. That He's going to die. That their master and their friend will be gone. And Jesus tells them, don't be troubled by this. Why? Because God is good and He is sovereign and this is all part of His plan. Jesus is leaving them because He still has work to do. And His work will secure a place for them in heaven with Him and His Father. Think about it this way. Jesus is getting ready to leave them temporarily so that He can spend eternity with them. If this did not happen, if Jesus chose not to to leave them, Yes, the disciples would be with him for a little longer, but they would never be able to spend eternity with him. So which one is better? It is good that Jesus goes. He needs to suffer. He needs to die. Because that is the only way he can prepare a place for them. That's the only way he can prepare a place for us. And so he loves his disciples, and therefore he willingly faces the trials that lay before him. Jesus is he's not naive about what's about to happen. He knows everything that lies ahead of him. We get a glimpse of this even earlier in chapter 13, verse 21, when we find out that Jesus himself is troubled in his spirit. And then later on that night, after this, uh, after this discourse, we read that Jesus is, is praying with such um, earnestness that he has blood, sweat, tears, and he's praying that this cup might pass him by. But ultimately, he wants to do his Father's will. Jesus himself was in a time of weakness, and he was weary. But more importantly, Jesus is steadfast, and he is faithful. He loves you and me so much that no amount of pain and suffering would prevent him from going to the cross. This is your shepherd. Look how he cares for the disciples. In the midst of his own pain and agony, in the midst of this prospect of much suffering and ultimately death upon the cross, Jesus took time to comfort his disciples. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the depth of your pain or your anguish or your despair. But I do know that Jesus knows He knows what you're going through. And there is nothing that is too big for him. There is nothing that is too troublesome for him. He is able to comfort and care for you. If you are feeling troubled, don't turn to yourself. Don't look to the world to help you turn to Jesus. Listen to these words from Derek Thomas. He says, The reason why we don't have to be troubled is because Jesus has walked into the trouble for us. He's taken that trouble on his own heart, and he's taken that trouble on his own soul so that we need not be troubled. Jesus shepherds his people. He reminds his disciples to trust him. And now he tells them specifically why he must leave. And we see this starting in verses 2 and 3. He says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also, 
So Jesus, he's, he's, he's not just leaving for the sake of leaving. He's actually going to prepare a reunion with his disciples. He's part, his parting is only going to be temporary. He's going first to prepare a place for his people. And then he promises that he's going to return and gather his people. Now this raises several questions. Where is this place that Jesus is going? Why does he need to prepare it for us? And when will he actually come and take us there? So first, where is, is it that Jesus is going? Where is this place that he's going? Well, as it says, he's going to his father's house. This is just one of the ways that the Bible describes heaven. It's the, the dwelling place of God. It's, it's a real place. It is holy, and it is perfect, and it is beautiful. And now, yes, God is omnipresent, which means God's presence is everywhere. But in heaven, his presence will not be veiled in any way. His holiness and his glory will be on full display. There will be no sin, and there will be nothing impure or undefiled there. And yet, look at what Jesus tells us. God's house has plenty of room. It has room for you. God will not run out of space for his people. And not only this, but it's called a house. It's not a hotel. It is not just some temporary place where we are going to go. It will be a place, it's not going to be a place where you, you never quite feel like you're home. No, because it will be your home. And it will be your permanent home for the rest of eternity. Now this also leads to another question. If, if Jesus is going to be with his Father in heaven, then why does he need to make preparations? Is he suggesting that heaven is not complete in some way? No. Heaven is perfect. Jesus is preparing a place for us, not by creating something new, but by removing everything that is keeping us from getting there. Jesus is removing the obstacles to heaven. And if he does not do this, then you and I will never be able to go to the Father's house. You and I will never be able to enter heaven because sin prevents us from entering heaven. And that is the obstacle that must be removed and that is exactly what Jesus is going to do. That is how he is preparing a place for you and me. He died on the cross to make atonement for our sins. Our sins have been utterly removed so that we have been made ready to enter the Father's house. And Jesus then promises that when he returns that he will take us there. But there's something else that we need to see here. Look, look, look very closely at what Jesus actually says in verse 4. He says, I will come again and I will take you where? I will take you to myself. Yes, Jesus will take us to heaven, but more specifically, Jesus is going to take us to himself. Don't miss this. There's much about heaven that we should long for. Heaven is going to be a place of utter beauty and glory. It's going to be a place where there's no more sin and no more mourning, no more pain, no more death. We will have perfect health. It'll be a place of ultimate comfort and joy and excitement. These are all true. These are all good things. Your inheritance is beyond your imagination. What waits for us when we depart from this world is beyond words. And we really should long for that day. We should long to be in heaven one day. However, 
There is nothing in heaven that compares to Jesus. That is what heaven is really about. It is about spending eternity in the presence of your Savior. It is about being with Jesus. Do you long for that? Do you long to see your Savior face to face and to spend eternity with Him? One of my all-time favorite quotes comes from Samuel Rutherford. This is what he said. He says, If I could be in heaven without you, it would be hell. And if I could be in hell and have you still, it would be a heaven to me. For you are all the heaven I want. Jesus is telling us that heaven is all about him. Our focus really should not be upon a place. It should be upon a person. Your focus should be on Jesus. And if you've placed your faith in him, if you are trusting in Jesus alone, then you will be with him soon. He has made it so. You see, Jesus did have bad news for his disciples. I will be leaving you soon. But he also had really good news for them. He says, I am going to prepare a place so that you can spend eternity with me. You will never know a time without being in my presence. And this is true for all of you who trust in Jesus as well. Jesus has removed anything. He's removed everything that will keep you from spending eternity with him. Now, the disciples still do not fully understand all of this, and so we see Thomas ask a question. Basically ask, you know, we don't really know what you mean, so how can we know the way? The disciples, they, they long to stay with their friend. They want to be with Jesus, and they can't, really, they can't bear the thought of being without him. And so they eagerly want to know. They eagerly want to know how do we find him after he departs? How will we know where he goes? How can we find him again? And they don't know the way. So how does Jesus respond to them? We see his response in verse 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus tells them that he is the way, the truth, and the life. This is one of the most radical claims that Jesus ever makes. Jesus uses the definitive article here, and that is of the utmost importance. As Tim Keller points out, he says there is an eternity of difference between saying Jesus is a way, a truth, and a life versus Jesus is the truth, the way, and the life. But that is what he says. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. These are exclusive claims that Jesus makes about himself. So what does it all mean? Well, first, Jesus is the way. As he said earlier, Jesus is the way to the Father. There is no other way. Jesus doesn't just simply show us the way. He is the way. Jesus doesn't just give good advice or give us directions on how to find his Father. No, Jesus alone is the way. And he makes this abundantly clear at the end of the verse when he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, the only way to heaven is through Jesus. And if we deny this, if we deny that Jesus is the only way, we are actually denying Jesus himself. Because that is what he says. I am the way. Now the world balks at this idea. You hear a lot of people claim that there are multiple ways to heaven, if, if they even believe in heaven. There are multiple ways to get to heaven. 
You know, for example, as long as you're a good enough person, as long as you do more good things than you do bad things, then surely God is going to accept you. Surely heaven is full of people that are just good people. Or another thing you might hear is that as long as your beliefs, whatever they are, as long as your beliefs are sincere, well, then you can go to heaven. However, it does not matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. You will never be good enough. It doesn't matter how sincere your beliefs are. They will not get you into heaven. Why? Because none of it is sufficient. Only Jesus is sufficient. Once again, what keeps us from heaven? It is our sin. You were born with a fallen, sinful nature. And sin condemns us and it corrupts us. And therefore, sin has to be dealt with in order for us to enter heaven. And there's nothing that we can do about it. There's no way that we can remove our sin ourselves. There's nothing that you can believe hard enough or sincerely enough that will purify you from your sins, that will remove the guilt and corruption of sin. But what we can't do, Jesus did. Jesus is the only person ever to walk the face of this earth that was without sin. He was the only perfect human being. He was perfect and pure. And therefore, He alone is the only acceptable and sufficient sacrifice for sins. Jesus alone is the only one qualified to be the atoning Lamb of God. And Jesus was willing to sacrifice Himself for you because He knew that was the only way to secure a place for you. He knew that was the only way that you would be saved. That was the only way that you would spend eternity with Him. Think about it this way. God spared no expense to get you into His house. He sacrificed His beloved Son because there, were no, there was no other way. And Jesus, He freely offers Himself up for you. Jesus held nothing back because He wants to spend eternity with you. Sin had to be removed. And so Jesus took that upon himself. He removed all the obstacles that are between you and his Father. There is no other religion. There is no amount of good works that can remove your sin. Only Jesus can. He is the way. And he is the only way to the Father's house. Jesus goes on and says he is also the truth. Jesus, He's the the perfect revelation of God, and God is truth. He is the creator of all that is true. Therefore, we can only know truly, we can only truly know God through Jesus. And Jesus is also the life. Eternal life comes only through Him. We read in the Scriptures that Jesus is the embodiment of life, that He is the fountain of life. In Jesus, you have life and you have it abundantly. Think about it this way. What really is the best that the world can offer you? You know, our culture claims that, um, that you are able to find true happiness with things of this world. Our culture claims that, uh, that your truth is really the only truth that matters. That whatever is true for you is true. Also, our world likes to to promote the fact that life is really whatever you make of it. But take a closer look at those statements. Take a closer look at what our culture, what our world is offering us. 
What does it really have to offer? Every way, every way outside of Jesus leads to destruction. Any truth apart from Jesus is a lie. And life pursued apart from him only leads to death. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Anything else is destruction, a lie, and death. Jesus alone is sufficient. And that is great news because Jesus has prepared a way. He has prepared the way. There is nothing that you need to do other than to believe in God and believe in Him. So that is my question to you this morning. Do you believe God? Do you trust in Jesus alone? Do you believe that Jesus is enough? Or do you feel like you need to do more? John Calvin challenges us with these words. He says, Whoever is not satisfied with Christ alone strives after something beyond absolute perfection. In other words, if you don't believe that Jesus is sufficient, if you don't believe that Jesus is the only one to get you to heaven, if you don't believe that Jesus truly is the way, the truth, and the life, then you're, you're looking for something that's beyond perfection because Jesus is perfect. He is sufficient. He alone is sufficient. He alone is suited and able to prepare the way to the Father's house. And He has done this for everyone who trusts in Him. He has done this for you. That is really what Christmas is about. Jesus came to prepare a way, to prepare the way. He came to bring us to His Father's house. And He bids you to follow Him because there is no other way. Listen to these words from Thomas Akempis. He wrote, Follow me. I am the way and the truth and the life. Without the way, there is no going. Without the truth, there is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way which you must follow, the truth which you must believe, the life which you must hope. I am the inviolable way, the infallible truth, the never-ending life. I am the straightest way, the sovereign truth, life true, life blessed, life uncreated. So brothers and sisters, let not your hearts be troubled because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And where is he now? He is at the right hand of God the Father and he has prepared a place for you and he will come and bring you to himself soon. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you again We thank you for our Savior, Jesus, who is the good shepherd of the sheep. Lord, he knows our hearts. He knows the things that we long for. He knows the things that we struggle with. He knows how we are wrestling. He knows the true condition of our hearts and our minds. And he cares for us. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that really is struggling, that really has found themselves in a really bad place, Father, I pray that you would comfort them. That these words, this command given to us to let not our hearts be struggled, that that would really resonate in our hearts. Help us to believe in your Father. Help us to believe in you and to trust in you. For you are good. You are sovereign over all things. You are the way the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through you. 
Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that does not understand or does not believe that, I pray that today would be the day that you mercifully open their hearts and their minds, that they would come to know and follow you. And for the rest of us that do trust in you, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would comfort our hearts, and that you would enable us to, to, to rejoice in our Savior who has promised to return and bring us to yourself. And Lord, may each one of us long to spend eternity with you. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.